Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And boy, Ann, we've had a busy week. How's it going for you? <laughs> it's been crazy. We've got a lot of canned stuff to catch up with. Uh, there's been some academy uh, disputes, if you like, uh, going on, uh, sort of reflecting the state of the industry. It just feels like the whole industry is is in a state of Lux, just and we're just trying to keep up with everything. And you've got Tribeca going on. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like we're living in multiple places at the same time. The can lineup comes out, and we start anticipating this thing, and then a big festival in New York comes along, and it's a totally different universe. It kind of reminds me of a few weeks ago when we were sort of winding down award season and South by Southwest was coming up. It really puts things in perspective. But I thought the can stuff this week... It kind of outshone everything that was going on Tribeca or otherwise because we got a whole bunch of movies added to the competition. Supposedly the competition is complete, and I thought it was it was pretty interesting because it wasn't it didn't change the proportion of women directors, but they did add they completed well, if you the jury. Do, it did. It does if you look at it in one way. If you have twenty, if you have set three women out of seventeen, that's one percentage, and if you have three women out of twenty-one. That's another percentage. Right, so we have and a final percentage. Flat. It's the yeah. same it's as the it same was as last year. Yeah, 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 exactly. And we have a jury that's primarily women. Now, I got a little bit of interesting backlash for a story that we did, but I think it's something worth talking about, which is yeah. basically you have Kate Blanchett at the head of this jury. You have primarily women, including Ava DuVernay. Every year there's a conversation about the choices that a jury makes and where those motivations are coming from. There's no question that this year there will be questions about whether the jury will favor a women director and they only have three to work with. So that was really what we were trying to get into is, can they maybe. do that? Yes, they could. Yeah, maybe. No, so I think, I think, the, I think where you might have um, rubbed people the wrong way was, was for sure, there's no question that in the, in the period of, of Me Too and Time's Up and everything else and all the sensitivities around us and these seismic shifts in the way we look at things, that, that everybody's going to be talking about women at camp. There's no question. The question is, if they don't put a woman movie, and should they put a woman movie just because it's a, directed by a woman as, as a prize winner, that's a big question. Even I don't go that far. You know I, don't, I, mean? I wouldn't either. I mean, I think it would be uh, intellectually disappointing, and it would be shocking to me if that became the jury consensus, but you know it's going to be a factor in the room, and what's so fascinating is that because there's only three films, each time one of those screens, that conversation is going to become more complicated and there but and it's a I, I could imagine I mean, I'm not saying I'm excited about all three of those movies but if they don't pass muster with the with the majority of that jury there's nothing Ava DuVernay uh, any more than Jessica Chastain the year before can do except express herself 
You right. know, she right. can't make anything happen. No, not necessarily. But it, but it, you do hear stories about the jury it can over the years and the way these arguments are, are made. And it sounds like, you know, we, we've been, you and I have both been on, on various kinds of film festival juries before. I mean, I was yeah. on a jury at can, but not on this level. It's it's fascinating. You can have a powerful personality for sure. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they say a, that the year... They say You're suggesting that, there's going to be a faction. Well, they say that the year that Tree of Life won... The, the, that even though that was not a movie that everybody loved, that it was not jury president Robert De Niro, but Olivier Asayas, who said, do we really want to be the canned jury that didn't give the palm to Terrence Malick? That he made a, a passionate argument. I even heard one person say maybe he saw the movie multiple times and stuff, and he, he was just such an authority figure in the room as a result of the argument that he made that he was actually able to sway the jury. And I think that that is an interesting case study in that People in a room can can be open to all kinds of different and ways there have of been, framing this. There's been evidence in the past that on one jury they were opposed to do the right thing, or there was a right. the year that he got that Spike Lee got robbed, and Spike Lee is back. So we have the Black Klansman, which could be another movie that that people would want to lean into, totally assuming that it's good. It. it sounds good. I can't wait. It's it's uh, it's 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 really one of the stronger. Uh, possibilities. Um, you know, it, it, there, are, there are times when um, various, I think it was George Miller who was resistant uh, to Tony Erdman yep, or something, yep. you know, didn't think it was any good. You know, So you can have powerful figures on a jury making a big difference. And you can have, in this case, a powerful faction of women, but they may not all vote together. It may not be what you right. think it and is. Let, and let them handle it i mean it's it's ultimately it's it's going to just be fascinating to see how this plays out because every day all of these i mean you can have Kristen stewart on the red carpet 10 days in a row going to see there will be many very happy you know. people yeah yeah exactly which is actually it's kind she's of been on that red carpet many times so many for times. many years Dance. it's like she's a, a real veteran i'm pretty sure she danced on the american honey red carpet you know she she likes to hang out at can but but i think what's cool about it is that in some ways it's like the ideal scenario for the festival this year because the movies are not very star driven it's, it's one of the least no. star driven cans in a really long time That's why but they the had jury to go for a strong jury yeah the jury t- kind of takes care of that so you don't necessarily need that and personally i mean i thought it was kind of funny seeing people who were like bemoaning the fact that journalists don't have you know an obvious celebrity access point for this year's can like the the Nicole Kidman factor last year it was like everybody was all over that this year it's like well how am I going to write about another three-hour Turkish movie or, you know, the, the, the French director who's made two movies? Or I mean, it's just... But for us, I mean, I think if you're really invested in what this festival theoretically should be doing, which is sustaining international cinema as an art form, it's actually really exciting because there's just a lot of unknown variables, and that's really what uh, makes this the process of going to a festival and watching the films in that context kind of exciting and different. What's interesting, Eric, for you, I think, is that um, you were bewailing the fact that uh, Thierry Primo and the the Cannes uh, people put uh, these changes in that seemed to diminish the critics in in the impact that they could have by putting it on, you know, making the the big movies unspool at the same time. Unspool, that's an archaic (laughs) word that no longer Really, they just press play. 
<laughs> but uh, but the I still have to do that. There's a lexicon of old words and new words uh, now that the uh, that the old cinema no longer uh, exists. But at any rate, the idea is that actually in a can like this with so few. Uh, big established names, uh, the critics become way more important in terms of creating new auteurs or branding new filmmakers. And, and someone like Laszlo Nemes and Son of Saul could emerge in a situation like this. And it, I, But I have to say, with the, I've been at the Oscar race a little early, I know, but we've got to get our stories up. Um, the idea being that there aren't very many Oscar movies in Cannes. I just don't see it. I just don't well, see it at all. Maybe Black's that, Klansman. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we it. do live in unpredictable times by Oscar standards, as, as we've you know looked at over the last two years. But it is, just to get this out of the way up front, it is important to point out, there could be some serious foreign language con contenders. That's what so I'm saying. Yeah. So it starts there. Sony Pictures Classics, which doesn't have anything in the official selection, will almost certainly be very actively looking for stuff. They'll pick up some stuff. stuff. IFC, The Orchard, the usual suspects will be on hand. But and and by the way, I, I know that Annapurna is going to be there. And I and and I was looking over uh, the Oscar lists, and I have to say, Annapurna has a bunch of, I mean, they have announced them as they've gone along, but all of a sudden they're all going to be ready and they're all going to be coming out. And uh, there's some pretty big uh, names here. Uh, so they're, they're actually getting together um, with Plan B on uh, the new Barry Jenkins movie, which is called If Beale Street Could Talk from a James Baldwin novel. Yep. And then you have Adam McKay returning um, with the Dick Cheney biopic Backseat, the one that Christian Bale gained all the weight for. Um, and then you have uh, Annapurna doing Richard Linklater's Missing Mom drama, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, from the novel. It's really hard and to then, tell. I mean, that's such a range of different movies, right? It's really hard to tell. I mean, Link These are all Oscar contenders, usually. By virtue of who's um, in them and things like that. Yeah, so. and then Jacques Audiard's English-language film, The Sisters Brothers, with Joaquin Phoenix and Jake Gyllenhaal. These are pretty good, solid, potentially uh, Oscar-worthy movies. So why are they all not at Cannes? Is it, I mean, we know that some stuff might not be ready, but other things, there are other reasons why you don't go to Cannes. That, that it's too risky, well, I think, that it's costly, let's it's talk far about away this. from awards yeah. season. So it's a, I think what's happened is a combination of maybe three different, uh, several different things. All right, so Netflix was one thing, which is a whole other thing. We've talked to death. Um, and I think Netflix did what it had to do and, in fact, was the powerful entity in this situation. I think Cannes needed them more than, you know, they could go to other festivals. Cannes needed those movies. And I'm hearing really good things about the Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah, that's a real uh, shame. That should be a Cannes. He's such you know, a Cannes It's auteur. a 70 millimeter movie, which makes it sort of oxymoronic that it would be on Netflix. So ironic. <laughs> and it's black and white, and it's shot in Mexico. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of excited about that one. Um, but, all right, what happened? I don't think these were ready. I don't think any of them were ready. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to tell because... And it's the fall. Uh, yeah, it's but the fall. often things are not... Pushed. I, you talk to filmmakers. Want... I talked to a filmmaker who could have probably gone to Cannes this year. Who, who's, I, I won't disclose the name, but, but, but there were just 
a couple of reasons why can just didn't make sense timing wise like well if we did this we could probably squeeze in time to finish the score but if we don't do it then we ha we don't have a crazy deadline and on the industry side of things it doesn't really matter if we go to can and i think more They're and more people are also scared of the that. critics even yeah, with the change it's 4000 critics all in one place ready to weigh in, yay or nay. And I think the Xavier Dolan is a case where he just decided, I'm going to go to Toronto where I have my home, well, my home some, Somebody on that, on, on that film certainly me. I don't know if it was him, but it, but it does seem like also... Not it, worth the risk. Yeah, exactly. It's like you have something where you have to pay back investors on this project that has stars in it. And even if it's not a good movie, it's, it's really who knows how, how it turned out. It just doesn't seem like it's worth it either way. And that's a real challenge for this festival right now. I mean, I got some interesting responses on, a, on another piece I did in this past week about why we don't have a can type of festival in the U.S. or some kind of, you know, kind of competition-driven thing for our own class of auteurs. You know, I'm surprised and, that you left out New York. Well, so the, there's a distinction Because Telluride and Toronto and South By are not like Cannes at all. But New York is very similar. Well, I've been thinking about this. So the reason why I, th I think it got some responses is because there is a sense like, well, maybe Cannes' moment is fading. Is there is there an opportunity for somebody else, maybe even in North America, to swoop in and, and become that? But but I, 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 here's the distinction with New York. New York Film Festival has usually a handful of premieres. It'll usually open with a new film and that will be a major fall film it is not sometimes a they do it sometimes is not a competition they usually festival. have the, a, they have an exclusive opener but and it's a centerpiece not, and a closer but it's not usually. a competition festival it no is it never has been but maybe they people. could consider it well that's but that's i the reason why it is not a, a festival that has been framed in that fashion ever it would be a radical shift for New York Film Festival, if 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 New York Film Festival is making the shift, any fest festival would make the shift. I don't it's think it's the festival that plays the most of the can because movies it, because its identity and has been the best of the best. Yes, the it but becomes, it should be considering. I think this is a brilliant strategic opportunity for them. I really do. I think I, I, I think my, you missed. Sense, I think you missed. I no, think you missed I, part I, of I, your I own argument. No, I feel that considering that I actually thought about that possibility. The reason why that doesn't make sense is, quite frankly, that nobody running the New York Film Festival uh, is in a position to do that. It's, it's a festival that is curated by people who are not looking to do what Cannes has to do, which is be very competitive and work closely with filmmakers who are you know, considering all kinds of different options to, to, to basically make deals with sales companies in a way that is very fast and rough. And don't forget also that Cannes is this place that, you know, operates as both an industry-facing festival and an audience-facing festival. And New York Film Festival's identity is exclusively audience-facing. It's run by a nonprofit that uh, is trying to appeal to a local audience. Uh, it's much in the same way I wouldn't expect Toronto to become something like this. I mean, it, By they the way, talk congrats about their... to Cameron Bailey, who, who got the job he was looking for. Sort of. They, they split it in two. They're splitting it close, up, I close know. Enough. But, 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 I, but, I, but I think it's, it's, it's important to think about that, is who is running these things? You know, if New York Film Well, nobody's in, there forever, and... No, 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 but I'm not just saying the, the programmers. Forever. I'm saying the institution itself, it's run by the Film Society of Lincoln Center, 
which does not strike me as a place that needs to have a can type of fest. I mean, this would be such a dramatic overhaul. I mean, but but sure, I would I would I would love to see a festival in New York do that. I don't I don't know if it necessarily has to be in a major metropolitan. It should, it should be in a city, but it, but it doesn't necessarily need to be in a place that's this competitive. It really depends because I mean, in Cannes, there's no other film festival of that scale. There's nobody else to kind of compete with, you know. New York, it's 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 really hard to tell where the best place for this would be. But I do think it is an interesting moment to be considering, you know the disconnect here that that we have a film festival infrastructure that favors you know in its competitions newcomers and discovery and Cannes has these world-class auteurs so if the auteurs stop going to Cannes where are they going to go well right now they're saying it's all about Venice so maybe Venice is going to be amazing this year but uh but it's not the be-all I think Venice and Telluride will both be and remember that Telluride is the festival that for better for worse over the last 10 years has become the de facto Oscar festival and you know and all that means is that they've been able to draw and curate uh, the absolute best of the best um, you know in this sort of I'm we're not competing for world premieres environment and a a relatively safe and small environment that people enjoy being part of I mean part of can is to put yourself in the in 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 the in the shark's mouth you yeah. know, which I think have, is awesome. You, as a it's a brave thing to do. It's amazing to watch it up close. The upside is good, yeah. but it's really scary. Yeah, there, there is. I'm not. I, and I and and just to circle back on this, I don't think we need another Cannes Film Festival. But I do think that there are some well, lessons that can be decades, gained from it. decades. Oh no, question. That and to create the expectations and the habits that go with it. But what we're seeing. And I think we've been talking around this a little bit, but what we're seeing is there is a definite situation there. I, and well, the there's, factors, there's and a the calendar problem. factors for the fall festivals yeah. and for the awards are favoring those timing. Yeah, you know? it, it doesn't quite work for that for the fall season narrative, and it's also relatively early in the year when people who shot movies a year prior may or may not be ready for these insane exactly. deadlines. They've learned that when the movies go to Cannes and they're not finished, it can be a really uh, disastrous thing. And and by the way, I think that part of it is the internet. The internet is part of what's making the Cannes even more dangerous, and the internet is part of what's making Cannes less competitive <laughs> because of Netflix and the arcane rules of, of exhibition in France, which which Cannes can do nothing about. There's absolutely nothing they can do. It's it's Netflix is now moving on. To I, I am f- disappointed, though. I mean, I, I just feel like, I know we've talked to this to death, but I just feel like this situation could have been, and, and hopefully still can be, talked through and worked out through so there's no more working diplomacy. it out there is no working well that it out. in this particular moment there the isn't France. but there's a stupid friggin law in France that, that it's like a three-year theatrical window and I just feel like something They're could not have happened change it. They, they, Netflix is one is one of the most powerful platforms not in the in world France. right now it, but they have a, a growing subscriber base if, if if this company wanted to sit down with the Minister of Culture and have a real conversation about this window it would have happened I'm sure it didn't. They just have no. I'm not going to give you're Netflix actually too much really, credit. really. I think this is like you being sort of willfully, um, I don't know, um, 
dense right. about this. Oh, please. This is, this is really not a situation where somebody's going to talk to them. I'm not a total people. Netflix You know what hater. the French are like. Yeah, the I know. They're annoying. They're right. The French I, think they're, that they're, they're geniuses. The French yeah, think but you know this what? is the, the best system that ever lived, but and they're going to defend it to the death. They're but, not going to listen to Ted Sarandos. But Netflix has an ego problem, too. You can't give them all the credit here. There, there is definitely this sense that neither side is being totally, you know, grown up about this and trying to find a solution for the future of this medium that could satisfy two very important institutions that have a lot my of My sense of Netflix, and I do know Ted Sarandos a bit, my sense is that they are, that they are annoyed and, and frustrated because they really are the mighty gorilla in, 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 in Hollywood. They are. And, and I think that it, if they can't um, see their way clear to being treated equally in, in, in the context of the Cannes Film Festival, where they can get the advantages that they want to get from a, a, a world stage and, a, and being in competition with their auteurs, they're going to withdraw and they're going to go somewhere else where they can get what they need. I, I really think that it's interesting to me that these debates on Twitter are so negative against Netflix in the sense that they are somehow trying to kill theaters. Yeah, that's, that's naive. not what they're it's, doing. It's naive. And, and you know what? Most of the people who are debating these things are kind of naive and they don't totally understand the infrastructure that is part of this conversation, the reality that maybe the theatrical model as it stands, doesn't necessarily make sense, and there is a happy medium. I'm just saying that I think the way that this is going down is also suggesting that there isn't a happy medium, and that ideally, you know, okay, so you're going to CinemaCon next week. Is Netflix going to CinemaCon? Are they going to be shaking hands of exhibitors no, and trying to figure something out? Not Why at all, not? but what I find fascinating, which I didn't realize, is that Netflix... All right. So the whole thing came up with Landmark and whether, you know, Landmark is for sale. The truth of the matter is that Landmark has been for sale for some time. It's just a question of how eagerly uh, their owners, Todd Wagner and Mark Cuban, are, are looking, you know, for a buyer. And why would they be looking for a buyer for Landmark? Well, it's really not a great business to be in. And apparently Netflix did check out, you know, or at least consider uh, whether they should do this and because they are frustrated that they don't get the A-tier theaters. They're, they're relegated, in effect, to the art houses and the B-tier and the IPIX theaters that they have partnerships with. So they don't get the first-run, big-time openings for their movies, except for certain places. And, and, and I think that, that that frustrates them, too. And, and they want to be treated well by AMC. I mean, in a way, they're being treated a bit like movie pass, you know, I mean, except that Netflix is going to survive and movie pass may not. But, well, yeah, that's uh, a, but, but, it, but whether or not movie pass does survive or not, something like movie pass, it, it's, they're, they're, they're going to change the industry. They'll disrupt yeah, the industry. That concept. The other. It's yeah. the same thing as the studios now, now that, and now that, uh, Disney, uh, you know, Disney is following the lead of Netflix in putting its movies on its own streaming platform, buying Fox and so forth. Uh, AT&T and Time Warner were in court uh, this this week that Jeff Bukes was testifying um, because the Department of Justice has been ha had filed a lawsuit to stop the merger. And he was really crying 
uh, about how they have to compete against Silicon Valley, against Netflix and Amazon and Facebook and and Apple and and Google. And if they didn't give them the infrastructure that AT&T provided, they, they can't compete. And he made sense. It made sense to me. Um, so so the, the this is a real thing that's being played out in all of these different areas of the business. It's true. And I guess on some level, it's it's a positive thing in the sense that it just means that the industry is working out things that would otherwise just, you know, blow up in their faces. So, you know, oh, no, they're not just... they're not they're slow and they've been hanging on to old ways of doing things because they were lucrative in the short term. Now they have no choice <laughs> but to yeah. get wise, or they're exactly. going to make it. Yeah, the next the next decade will will certainly look different than than the previous one. That's for sure. So outside of can stuff, the Tribeca Film Festival started on Wednesday. I happened to see the opening night film, which was decent. Gilda Gilda Radner documentary. I mean, if if you uh, don't know Gilda Radner, or haven't revisited some of her SNL stuff recently. This movie certainly has some really great clips and, and her, her stories. Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. Yeah, it's all it's it's all there. And and the filmmaker the film doesn't have theatrical distribution yet, but CNN is, has broadcast rights. And the filmmaker had got her hands somehow on these personal diaries that she gets all these modern day SNL people like Bill Hader and and people like that to read from. And um, it's it's pretty interesting I mean, the way that she thought through how fame impacted the kind of authenticity of, of her comedy and talent. So that was actually, it was a good opener and they didn't do something weird like they have on some, some years at Tribeca where they have like a prolonged performance or something afterwards. It was just, just the movie. Um, but now everything's been hijacked on, on, on the, the, by the end of the week by this bizarre situation that happened on the second night where there was this uh, 25th anniversary Q&A, not 25th anniversary, 40th anniversary uh, screening of Scarface and a Q&A with uh, De Palma and Pacino and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and this ridiculous interviewer question on Jesse stage. Jesse Cornbluth? Yeah, I, I, I don't know the guy, but he, he asked Michelle... He used Michelle, to write for EW. He's been around, I, I, but, but uh, you know, it's... Look, moder we've all done this thing with moderating. Sometimes things come out wrong or whatever, but... You don't ask Michelle Pfeiffer how much did you weigh on the set of Scarface unless you're entirely tone deaf to the world that we live in right now. I mean, this was just and 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 what's worse is so the audience booed, right? This is the audience reacted poorly, and you can see the cast and crew kind of like cringing on stage. But it, what's sort of interesting about it is that it just makes it so clear, you know how much every most people are are cognizant of where the line is here you know that the audience did not allow that to just kind of happen you know this was it was just very clearly out of line but well, also uh, he it had been like the the i wasn't there but just from what i read the that the the moderator asked each of the men questions about the movie in a certain way and the first question yeah. he asked michelle was about her weight terrible terrible <laughs> Uh, yeah. So political correctness is definitely a, a very big uh, factor. But it's uh, also, it's like, okay, there's political correctness like, 
Lars von Trier can't make a stupid joke about being a Nazi anymore, and there's political well, that correctness, was, that was, and then there's that like wasn't this. just a stupid joke. But I, mean, I, I get it, but no, but that that was yeah. a stupid thing to say. So should he be was, forgiven? There are people today <laughs> who are saying that he shouldn't be forgiven, that he shouldn't be allowed back into into Cannes. Well, what he, do you that, think? That, I think that he's a filmmaker, and I think that he is who he is. Lars von Trier is a puckish, irascible. Uh, you know, disturbed <laughs> individual who makes great films. And in the context of Cannes, you know, given that he basically did apologize and understood what a mistake he made, uh, he should be allowed back. There was an interesting story today about how, you know, Brigitte Bardot is never forgiven for comments that she made and, and Godard has, has been allowed to Well, Godard, to I mean, I think that skate. is interesting. It's like Godard was criticized you know, for... for questionable comments that, that, that may or may not make him anti-Semitic and anti-Semitism is illegal in France and, and Rontrier was even questioned about that and, uh, and Godard is in competition at Cannes and Rontrier is not. So I think there is something interesting there. It is, it, that it would is have true. been a bridge too far. You put him in competition. But it, is, competition. but it is oh. interesting, right? Because it's like, okay, so is this like a baby step? Like if this goes okay... Will they put him back in competition in another year, or is he just is does he now? Well, like I think that he doesn't want back. to do the press conference, so well, that's part of the deal. He, when maybe you're he in can't. I, I don't know. It's not written in blood. Terrence Malick skips out on it every time. Yeah, true. There. So who knows how it's going to go? I can't wait to see that movie. I can't wait to see all kinds of stuff. I'm even curious about this Terry Gilliam movie that's closing night film. I know you know it. It looks questionable, but anything has been an object of. of lore for for decades so in any case uh we're and you spoke to hazana vicious yeah vicious who is actually on the board of can uh because he is a representative of the producer director guild in france uh and they always have a seat at the table he's been in can competition three times and had so many like basically the full spectrum of experiences he had the artist which did really well he had the search, which was booed, and then he had last year Redoubtable, now called Godard Mon Amour, that's coming out, which did okay. Some people didn't like it. Some people liked it. It just it it was it went fine for that movie. And and you know his perspective on on something like Lars von Trier is like the guy's like subversive, and he said something stupid, and like he should be let back in competition. But I I think it's um it's it's really tricky to assess these things because ultimately. When the we don't know how this is going to go until it just happens, you know. Like if the movie itself offends everyone, then that's just going to kick up more conversations about whether or not this guy should be here or whatever. But I, I also feel like there there is some reason to believe that you know when people screw up, uh, the it, depending on the case, the world can also learn to forgive them for that. And it depends on who it is and what the screw-up is, but in the case of Lars von Trier, um, I'm willing to see the movie and not really think about these things if everyone else is. If the conversation goes a certain way, then I guess that's just something we're going to have to contend with. And it's just going to add some, some more sophistication to the narrative this year, so we'll see how Indeed. it goes. And Indeed. anyways, uh, next week I'm sure we'll have more can updates and... Um, 
other things from Tribeca, which continues into next week. Oh, so. by the way, um, among the movies that were added was Fahrenheit 451, which is yet another HBO movie. So yeah. they not they released did in France. After all, <laughs> nobody's and Michael B. Jordan is that. in it. I'm excited. I want to see that one. Yeah, it's good. It's another thing to look at and look forward to. So, in any case, enjoy your weekend in, and I'm you sure too. we'll have more to talk about soon. Bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.